are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Hey everybody, this is Bill with the Sitrep Podcast and it is that time again. It's time to get our gaming excellence on and talk about all things historical wargaming with that little emphasis on the modern side. Joining me today is our historical guru, the game creator, the man himself, Sir Jim Ariskany. How are you, sir? Hello, everybody. How you doing? All right. And here in the Midwest, with a new promotion, is Martin, our new news editor. Marty, how are you, sir? Good Good, good morning, and you will all live to regret that. <laughs> not, not, now you have to listen to what I think is news. So I have to now create yeah. a new intro for you, for the news. And I, I was going to say, is, is Marty going to get yeah. the new... Uh... I better get an intro. So I'm I, thinking it's going to be on. something along, what's Anchorman? So. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> 60% yeah. of the time, every time. <laughs> All right, so we're, uh, Chris is uh, MIA at this point. He may hop in later. Who knows? He may be buried in some computer stuff, you know, whatever those computer guys do. Anyway. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if it's a patching weekend for him or not, yeah. so whatever he's doing. Whatever. Whatever. Anyways, let's get on with the show. So as traditional, we'd like to catch up on what people are doing just to do a brief synopsis of any gaming or hobbying or other, you know, gaming-related interests. And, Sir Jim, I'm going to let you start the show today. Hit it. All right. Um, actually, not a whole heck of a lot. Um, last week, we rolled out some HK Ops uh, for the first time in quite a while. We, yeah. we dusted off that uh, that bad boy. Um. And uh, some video production, so hopefully we'll see some modeling and some actual like tabletop hobby craft nice. uh, of the A10 Warthog that we were talking about earlier. Uh, that's now kind of you know put together into a uh, into a video that will probably be going out in the next week or so. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Excellent. As all of you already know, the A10 right. is the official mascot of the Sit Rep Podcast. All right, excellent. Uh, looking forward to it. And then tomorrow you got a, uh, some gaming going on. I understand. Yeah, so um, we are going to kick off. I don't know if it's going to be a series or if it's just going to be a couple, you know, scattered war games. But we're sort of coming up with our own uh, almost Tom Clancy type. Uh, I know I'm kind of comparing myself to Tom Clancy. I'm not. I don't mean to do that. But we're 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 coming up with our own sort of techno thriller. Uh, potential war of the future mm -hmm. uh for the moment we're calling it uh, red dragon 2028 and we're sort of taking a look from multiple angles of uh, what a uh, a people's republic of china invasion of taiwan might look like so we have the base sort of worked out as far as like the uh, again the approximate year how at least in this you know obviously fictional setting um the the yeah, chinese are actually launching this invasion and uh, what some of the response might be, what countries might get involved. And we're looking at a, at a, a range of systems, at least four different systems, to uh, look at different aspects and different command levels of, of this kind of conflict. So uh, we, we're going to go ahead and kick that off tomorrow. 
uh, with the first uh, installment. It might be the only one. I mean, it depends on what kind of uh, interest it finds in the community. Mm-hmm. But we're, we more or less are making up our own war, you know, in the not too distant future. Um, obviously, this is the kind of thing we hope never happens. But just in case it does, it's, you know, like, you know, back in the 80s, people were constantly, nobody wanted it to happen, but people were constantly imagining and reimagining and then dumping all the toys back out of the box and reimagining again uh, what it might look like when the Soviets invaded West Germany. Right. Nowadays, we look back at Team Yankee and it's fun. It's, oh, let's put on some 80s tracks and talk about 810s and M1 Abrams and it's all kind of fun. Um, spoiler alert for any of us who might, you know, might be old enough, this shit wasn't funny in the 1980s. No, that, sure that, wasn't. Stuff, that stuff was going to happen like any day. Yeah. And uh, it was your it was your life's work um, to sort of prepare for that in one way or another. So you know it wasn't. All, but even back then, techno thriller novels that was the birth of the, of the uh, techno thriller novel. Tom mm-hmm. Clancy, Harold Coyle, Ralph Peters. Um, the, uh, there's a bunch of others. I'm, I'm not. Oh, uh, the king of them all. Actually, back in the 70s, um, uh, Sir John Hackett, the commander of NATO. Yeah. I came out with a book about this. It was like, hey, this is how it's going to happen. Spoiler alert, if you're, very, if you're playing Team Yankee, you're really playing uh, um, Sir John Hackett's Third World War, uh, August 1985. That's the real cinematic universe, air quotes, uh, that Team Yankee takes place in. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of doing the same thing with a potential conflict in the Pacific. You know, We don't want to do Europe again because Europe's done to death. I mean, hello. Uh, so we're looking at um, – we're looking at the Pacific, uh, specifically again, Red China going into Taiwan. Interesting. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that we'll see how that kicks off tomorrow. So I have a question: Will there be these uh, man-made islands in the game? You know how China's creating these islands to expand their territory. Uh, we've already sort of looked at that with our Spratly Islands game. Of yeah, you're, you're talking about the Spratly Islands. Uh-huh. We looked at that in uh, a, a, a game of uh, Naval Command, where we put uh, U.S. Navy destroyers up against uh, several Chinese frigates. Um, that was a fun game. Are they going to figure in again? Uh, yeah, almost certainly. Because, again, that's much further south than Taiwan is, is the spot that, 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 that you're talking about. Yeah. That, that's in the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, not right across the Formosa Straits, you know, where this conflict is. However, as the Ch- again, we'll, we'll go into the details tomorrow as far as you know how this invasion scenario is, is starting to play out. Yeah. I've got a couple sources, by the way. Uh, these are mostly uh, Modern War magazine. I got a couple articles again. We'll go into the details tomorrow. Um, I didn't just sit down and make this up uh, off the top of my head. We do have some uh, little bits of uh, you know published. I don't want to say a prediction, but. Uh, sure. Uh, imagining of, of what this kind of thing would look like. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, that would sort of be a peripheral theater. However, it would still play in because it wouldn't just be Taiwan. We would have the U.S. 7th Fleet there. Um, Japan would almost certainly get involved. South Korea, probably not so much because North Korea is right there. And needless to say, the 38th parallel might be a bit tense in this kind of a situation. Um, but as other allies, uh, Australia, New Zealand definitely start to get mobilized and, um, you know, maybe try to help out in this effort to, you know, first contain and then defeat this invasion. Um, the approaches to Taiwan and the Formosa Straits from other angles are definitely going to come into play. And that's where you, you, again, depending on what the community feels and depending on how many people we get involved, if we get a lot of people that are into, you know, Naval Command, um, 
Yeah, we could definitely come back to the Spratly Islands again. So far, we've got at least two games. We've got tomorrow's, and I think we've already got a game lined up for next Sunday, too. Nice. Um, so, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Apparently, this little mini setting is uh, starting to get a little bit of traction here. So no promises as to how long it'll go, but we're going to take a look at this um, you know, Red Dragon 2028 scenario from a couple different angles for sure. Excellent. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And just as a reminder to everybody that listens, the podcast is now released on Saturday at approximately noon Central Daylight Time or Central Standard Time, obviously depending on the time of the year. But this way we're talking about uh, something that's going to happen versus like we used to when we did the recording on Sundays and released after Jim's game. This way we can build you up and get an audience growing. And so you guys will know about the games ahead of time and, you know, you can pop in and, it's always great if you can't watch it to listen to it in the background while you're doing hobbying or reading or whatever the case may be. Um, it's always a, a good listen if you're not viewing it. So that's one thing that we're definitely trying. Uh-huh. And this is sort of related to our to our podcast being rescheduled to Saturdays instead of Sundays. Is we are starting the game like an hour or maybe even two hours before the the, the stream goes live. So a lot of times people log on to our stream and. Um, I mean, we, we play big war games. Yeah. Uh, we don't play little skirmish games. These are actually big, you know, tanks and ranks, kind of, a you know, big battle games. The trade-off there is that it takes a while. Yeah. And there's setup, and then there's discussion, and then there's the first move. And on these big battlefields, it might be turn three before anyone's in range of each other. Long story short, take your first shot. What? The first the first two or oh, right. the, the first hour or an hour and a half, maybe even two hours of these streams have, have been a little dry. Yeah. Um, so so what we're going to do is we're going to actually start the game. So hopefully when we go live, that's going to be 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, these are almost, you know, these are pretty much our usual time. Uh-huh. 2 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday. Um, yeah. We're already going to have that rounds down range. So when you log in, hopefully we'll see some of you guys there. When we log in on, uh, when you log into our stream on Sunday, we're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook. Boom, we'll, we'll already be in the thick of it. Nice. You know, hopefully make the streams, number one, a little shorter, and number two, um, a little bit more engaging right off the top. Excellent. So it's now Jim's Ariskany Action Time. So, yeah, yeah right, right, right into the action. Stuff right away. Woo. Nice. All right, excellent, Jim. That's, that's actually, I think, a very uh, smart move because, yeah, you know, anybody who's played those big games knows that things start out very slow. I mean, look at the game you and I played. The other week, I mean, nothing really happened for, what, the first three, four turns, and then it all of a sudden just, you know, boom, we hit it. So Nothing happens as in, like, nothing's blown up yet. Right, right. But at the same time, again— It's just a chess game in those first few turns. Well, well, yeah, we'll get into it with with today's topic, but, you know, these these games where you see, like, oh— we don't start 12 inches in from the table. We start 12 inches from the center of the table to kind of get yeah. your, t- your guys. You guys are throwing away 80% of the game when you do that. Uh, drives me off the wall. <laughs> um, all that said, while it might be very engaging and vital, the game is won or lost before the first shot is fired. I yeah. mean, the, all that said, if you're watching it or listening to it on a stream, yeah, it can be a little slow. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's definitely a left hand, right hand kind of a thing there. So yeah, we're gonna we might pause when the when the uh, when the uh, stream starts and say, hey, we're now like the beginning of turn three. Mm-hmm. We've done A, we've done B. Here's what he's thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, talk with the community for a second. But then, like you know, within 15 minutes, we should be you know back into the thick of it, um, or sort of you know waist deep into the carnage uh, with any luck. 
that sounds great. I, I think that uh, will definitely uh, keep people in and bring other people in. Yeah, uh, you know, because a lot of people, they like the action. And so I think that's awesome. That's a good move, Jim. Excellent. All right, Marty, you're up, sir. Yeah. I concur, Jim. Good move. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see if it works. So, yeah. So, um, let's see. So, for hobby stuff, um, my li- my little Afghan uh, platoon of, of dudes, uh, I am I have uh, based them, and I got to I've finished touching up the bases and steel cut them, and they are ready to go to work. So, I'm nice. pretty excited about that. Uh, I figured out how to thin turbo dork paint and uh, added a third uh, walker to my mercenaries for dust. So now I have one that is bubblegum crisis, one that is uh, uh, people eater, people eater purple, and one that is a spicy meatball. Interesting. So it's, yeah, well, you know, I figured you know for the for, for the ladies of demolition that seemed like it could be a thing. I mean, everything else is, you know, brown and green. So, you know, got to bring a little color to the table there mm-hmm. somewhere. Sure. As well as, uh, speaking of a table, so uh, you know, I had to catalog everything that I received from you for dust. So that was a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I got I got them all, all sorted out and figured out who goes to what unit. All those, all those little loose infantry dudes, yeah. not going to lie, <laughs> that was a pain. <laughs> that was it. That was like three hours of my life. I'm not getting back, but I got them all sorted out and whatnot. So that's that's about all I've done for uh, for hobby stuff, really. Gotcha. Though I'm I'm done done a ton of stuff, but uh, I'm I'm happy with what I did get done. Yeah. Uh, the Turbador paint was kicking my ass because um, I I tried this uh, a couple weeks ago and I literally had to strip it. It was so bad. Yeah. So. The yeah. fact that it that it turned out, and I figured out how to how to get it done, and the Turbodork has a nice uh, nice little community on their Facebook page as well, so yeah. that helped. So for you guys that don't know, Turbodork is a line of paints that's what they call color changing paints. Um, yeah, you know, the, it goes down yeah, as one, but color shifting. Yeah, color shifting, and then it you know it's it's you know, and then it changes color depending on light and the way you look at it and stuff like that. So again, they the have primer use, you put under it. but. In historical wargaming, it's extremely limited. Um, but once you go outside the uh, historical part of it, then yeah, um, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you're not painting a battleship with any of these. But, I mean, you uh, could, yeah. but you know, it, it's going to be a nightmare. But you know, yeah, it, it, if you're looking historical, yeah, it, as of right now, they don't think, seem to have too much of a place. I think, I think, I think they have a color called nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, cool. Anything else, Marty? But but uh, that's it. No, then uh, trying to trying to uh, prod uh, Chris with a stick to get him to do some stuff. So yeah. we'll get there. Yeah, that's a hobby in and of itself. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. So for me, uh, obviously, I've done uh, a couple videos since our last show. I did one on range and scale, model scale, uh, with the assistance of my lovely wife, Dawn. And then uh, I did a review unboxing uh, and first impression. It wasn't really a review. It was a first impression unboxing of the game Fire in the Sky, which takes the entire war in the Pacific from World War II uh, from day one all the way through the Japanese surrender. So um, if you guys haven't seen that video yet, uh, it's up there on our YouTube channel and stuff. I apologize for the sound. I didn't realize at the time because I wasn't controlling the control board. Don was, and I guess we missed it. Uh, we had two mics live at the same time, so they were clipping out each other. That's why the sound was off. 
Um, so I'll have to make sure that I fix that for the next time. But outside of that, uh, I'm still working a little bit on getting my painting uh, video done for uh, Epic Battles, the uh, Civil War, American Civil War from Warlord. And I've been doing a lot of reading recently, uh, rule books. I love rule books. Uh, it's kind of like my hobby within a hobby. Um, I, I seem to collect rule books. Marty's seen my game room, and, you know, I have shelves dedicated and just to rule books. So You have plenty of them, that's yeah. for sure. So I, I came up with, you know how last year we had a, what was our big project last year, guys? What took almost a whole year for us? 13 days, 13 hours. Right. So, I I have sitting right in front of me. I'm actually looking at it as I speak. I have uh, essentially the entire Force on Force collection of rule books. What if for our next big project, because this will keep us within our our realm of historical combat slash modern, if we did a complete playthrough of Force on Force? So we take the main rule book. We take one scenario out of Road to Baghdad, one out of Enduring Freedom, one out of Days of Rangers, one out of Bush Wars, one out of Fallujah, and I can't remember what the other book I have up here is because the spine is turned. Um, oh, there's one on Hypothetical World War II. Yeah. They went back into, uh, I'm sorry, World War, Hypothetical World War III. Yeah. There's one where they actually go back to World War II. They call it Special Ops, like 1940. We played like some of the very first British commando raids into Norway and things like that. Yep. So, um, there's, yep. A, there's a lot of them. So, I think there's one on Vietnam. Yeah, I have the Vietnam one. That's i got to find it. It's, I think it's Ambush Valley. Um, I have the special ops one is called Classified 1940 to 2010. Um, so uh, thanks to my buddy Alex uh, from Full Battle Rattle Miniatures. Uh, he sent me those books. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, guys? Should we do a Force on Force series? Do you think that would be uh, interesting to people? And I, I would be interested because I have yet to play Force on Force, and Jim has spoken yeah. about it several times. Um, I've spoken and published about it. Yeah. It's, it's it's a great. Uh, it's probably my. I haven't tried them all, so again, I always kind of put that footnote in there because I don't want to sound like I'm I'm talking down about other systems. But Force on Force is probably one of my. In fact, it is. Of the games I've played so far, it's my favorite modern system. Um, for two main reasons, I'll just hit those two bullet points extremely quickly. Uh-huh. Number one, it doesn't care about the bullet. It doesn't care about, well, this is a 680, you know, SPC cartridge uh, in your M4 carving, which has been rechambered, and it's got the rails on the side. And it's got, No, it's assault rifle, machine gun, submachine gun, uh-huh. you know, pistol, that kind of thing. Um and what it tends to emphasize instead of like the super down to the, you know, green weight in the brass casing, you know, kind of super technical detail is the quality of the man. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I tell you what, if, if you're ready to get hunted down in the streets of Chicago and you have to fight for your life, you could give me a $3,000 M4 assault carbine with all the trimmings give it to my, you know, 50 year old fat ass, or <laughs> you could give an old busted Pakistani created in a garage, AK 47 to a Delta force operator. And which one would you rather go up against? Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't, the, the gun well, doesn't matter. It's the guy, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the dope behind the weapon as they used well, to say on the range. If, yeah. if it's Chicago, there's a kid on the West or South side that's already doing this stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. <good thing. laughs> um, so it's, uh, 
Yeah, so it, it really goes into troop quality rather than like technical yeah. detail. And number two, it, man, it, it does asymmetrical warfare right. I've, I've said it a hundred times. If I had a nickel for every time, um, I've had to stop and like explain what asymmetrical warfare really is, uh, especially in terms of gaming. Yeah. What an asymmetrical war game really is. Force on Force is just a, I won't say the only, but it's one of the few games that actually understands that. And, uh, yeah, as you read through the base rule book, you'll see it's, here's how, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do force on force. Okay, guys, here's how you build an army. Here's how you do movement. Here's how you do initiative. Here's how you do fire wounds, casualty evacuation, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then you get to like maybe 75% through the book and it starts over. It says, okay, take all those rules and kind of set them off to one side. Here's how insurgents work. Mm-hmm. Here's how they move. Here's how they do morale. Here's how they do casualties. Here's how. And what that winds up with, that you can do like NVA versus Marines. You can do regular army versus regular army if you want. And you just use that first section of the book. But if you're doing most modern complex, which is a real, you know, standard military yeah. versus an insurgency of some kind, You've got two different armies, and in Force on Force, you're literally playing two different games. You've got rulebook on that side of the table, and you've got a rulebook on this side of the table. And it's all sort of within the same framework of Force on Force, obviously. But it's not just the two sides have different forces, and they have different abilities, and one side's got a lot, and one side's got a few. And No, it's that's, you're literally using a different system Yeah. Uh, in, in, in some aspects, in, in, in most aspects. And, but that's uh, very reflective of how modern warfare and yeah. asymmetric warfare is. You know, that's yeah. how insurgencies go. The two sides are literally playing by two different rule books. Yeah. And in force on force, that is damn near a literal truth. And that's why I love it. Nice. All right. Well, I'm excited. Marty, what All do you right. think? You, I was, was going to say, you sold me. I mean, <laughs> where, I, you know, where do, where do we start? Well, we uh, have the miniatures. We, we got it. We, well, yeah, I mean, you know. And do, do if we, we don't historic, have the miniatures. Historically, do we start farther of it, farthest than the past and work our way forward? Well, you know what? I do say we, need, we, uh, do we need well, to build a table. Well, so as far as the table stuff, I, I think we need to make it where we can just, you know, you know, buildings and trees and what terrain we, you know, little pieces that can easily be set up and you know, I don't want to do a big table like we did for Benghazi because we'd have 20 tables, you know, and, so let's, a force on force is usually a two or three foot table. Yeah. So let's, and that's, 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 that's assuming you're playing at 20 mil, but it's a, it's scale agnostic. I've played it at 15. Mm-hmm. I've played it at, at 20. I've, I mean, I know people are going to play it at 20. It's fine. It all works out. So if we one play of those, it, you know, ranges unlimited kind of games. It's, you know, the, yeah. the size of the table is not going to be a big issue. So if we play it over at the studio, we've already got two by two squares there that uh, instead of the, um, the grass side being up, let's flip them over and put the dirt side up. Right. And, yep. you know, so that, that's some basic stuff. I've got, uh, I don't know, the, you've seen the stuff that, uh, the little Afghan, yep. uh, cork buildings and whatnot that I've got for some of my stuff. And we saw well, the Alamo you know, stuff we can turn into an Afghani village or Iraqi village or whatever. So yeah, if we want, yeah, if we want to weather that up to, to look more, you yep. know, Adobe, yep. if you will, yep. uh, more mud brick. Yep. Although that that will still be a project because I mean that seems like uh, I don't know a lot ten percent assembled. <laughs> so yeah, I mean uh, a, a, a couple of good tricks to update a table like that. Uh huh. Um, super fast. Um, make some signage. You don't even have to permanently attach it to your buildings. Just put like, like 
putty sticker, like, yeah. like a kneaded eraser or blue tack. Blue tack or something. Yeah, uh, get some. Get some. Uh, I do this all the time. Get some, uh, especially if the language, which would this, this would definitely apply, if the language uses a different alphabet. Like if you're in Vietnam or Afghanistan or the Ukraine, where the you know the lettering is very clearly not English, yeah, and you can turn a World War II, all those French cafes suddenly become you know um, you know internet cafes in a bombed out uh, Ukrainian town somewhere, like snap like that. And uh, a crazy little thing, it's a video I keep meaning to make. One of these days, I'm, I'm going to sit down and do it on live stream. Is some chain link fence. Nice. Name one, name one thing that wasn't around in World War II that is freaking everywhere now. And yeah. you put a, just a couple – you don't have to cover the board with it. Just drop a couple little pieces of it, a couple little little parking lots, and your board is immediately 1970s forward um, with just a couple little bits of um, a chain link fence. Bam. Through that. Um, yep. Through that. Yeah. So you don't even have to like – you literally take a table. I'm, all my stuff is World War II. You take a couple – but again, I do mostly moderns now. Take a couple little – sprinkles of this uh, of this modernizing sort of effect and that that table will warp forward 80 years in history uh with like an hour of work it doesn't take long at all yeah and and i'm oddly enough i do have a stash of uh arabic signs uh i have like three pages of little signs that are specific to iraq i mean it's like literally the road sign you'll pause rub this exit nice like that um and then i've got uh <laughs> Got some Ukrainian signs. Oh, Weird, I, I, I know, right? I, I no. Uh, I literally, I have like highway signs to Slavyansk. I have highway signs to Donetsk. I've, yep. I've gone to, I've gotten those signs with those mile markers, and same with Kuwait International Airport. Uh, it's you know, it's not, it's not hard to find. You go on the on Google Images, you do like two seconds of work in Photoshop, print and play, you're ready to go. Yeah, and then I. Uh, I got stuff like, you know, advertising, uh, like billboards and placards for like uh, Roshan telephone service. It's ubiquitous there. You know, so. Nice. So you're both. Yeah, that, that yeah, I had uh, for, for Ukraine, I had the Metro. I think they call it the Metro supermarket. It's like their version of yep. the Publix or Walmart yep. or something like that. And for our, our Way City sign, uh, <laughs> I did Way City in Force on Force. For Way City, we'd had, uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of it, that toothpaste ad. I don't know if you guys remember, if you watch uh, Full Metal Jacket, there's always this billboard in the background of this guy with this rather, it's kind of tasteless nowadays, um, with like this guy, he's like, it's, it's a toothpaste ad, so he has like this huge smile on his face. And he's like, you know, grinning down on the city in this big cartoonish looking, uh, borderline racist nowadays. Uh, you know, but it's a toothpaste ad. And when I was doing this, I was publishing on Beast of War at the time. I'm doing all these Google translations just to make sure that none of these signs in Vietnamese, without me knowing about this, and say, you know, you know, uh, Madame Midnight's Boom Boom Palace, you know, right around the corner or something like that. <laughs> so I just check, make sure everything's co- everything's kosher. Um, yeah, but it's, if you've seen Full Metal Jacket, you, you you know what billboard I'm talking about. So right. I literally created that billboard, slapped it around the table. It's always in shot. Um, yeah, a couple little touches like that, and your table can become very specific without starting over with the plaster and literally building the table from the, you know, the, literally the ground up, no pun intended. Sure. Nice. All right. So uh, I think we'll have to sit down and do some planning sessions. Yeah. And um, Right. 
I think because I, 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 I've been itching for a big campaign, you know, after what we did went through last year with uh, Benghazi, it's like, you know, this year it's kind of like, what have we done? Right. You know, we've done a lot of little projects, but I want us to be known as the big project people. Right. So uh, we haven't done anything serious. Yeah. We have done something serious this year. Uh, the Gulf War series. Yeah. No, no. That yeah. Was, but that even that was like good grief now uh that ended at the beginning of march so that was five months ago now yeah. good damn yeah. yeah so yeah no i don't want to take well, anything away from that i'm you know i was like you know we spent everybody did a, a part right you jim you had a skirmish set rep you set up you know we did the the transit game and you know play tested that and then we did yeah. the, you know skirmish so. sit rep which is going to seem a lot less original and amazing once we start to get deep into the weeds on force on force but it's ours you know, damn of, it it's ours <laughs> that's lot, where it came from a lot of it's going to seem very familiar <laughs> like, oh wait a minute now okay so, <laughs> i thought jim was a genius <laughs> he lifted this right out of here yeah, i am a genius I still <laughs> exactly so, you know what uh, what I've always been told is you take the best parts of other things and bring it to your own project to create something better. You know, it's it's really what it comes down to. N- nothing is 100% original. You always have inspiration yeah. from somewhere else, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, Force on Force's reaction system comes from other games. Um, the size of dice goes back to TSR Battle System 1989. Like, oh, this is a good character. He rolls a D8. This is a crappy character. He rolls a D6. Yeah. This is an elite operator. He rolls a D12. That goes back to the 80s, yeah. if not further back. Like, I'm not talking about role-playing games. I'm talking about war games. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, nothing really new under the sun. But, uh, yeah, steal from the best is, you know... There was a quote. I can't remember. This, this is not mine. I can't remember who actually said this. It might have been Mark Twain. He says, when you steal from one, it's called plagiarism. But when you steal from many, it's called research. Go for it. <laughs> Sounds like a Mark Twain quote. <laughs> All right. Cool. So that's what I've been uh, working on. So I, I yeah. don't know if I'll be able to do it. I was going to say, I don't know if I'll be able to attribute that correctly, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, that's kind of what, where I'm thinking we had. Um, also, what I'm thinking is I'd like to have a public uh, Google Drive area. So, like, Jim, for Valor and Victory, the modern expansion, I'd like to have it available in the Google Drive. Um, you know, eventually I'd like to us to have our own web page where we have a resource page where it's stuff that you would like to have available either through, like, uh, if we have subscribers that they can have access to, you know, to get the rule books or any projects that we work on that you feel that, you know, um, we want to make as like, you know, special rewards or whatever to um, supporters and, you know, people. So something we'll have to work on. Um, but, you know, I, I really think, you know, we've been up and running for what we're, this is our anniversary this month. Um, I want to say, has it been three years, four years now? I can't remember now. No, it's been, you, you guys have been up since July. I think you guys went up July 4th of, I say you guys, cause I wasn't with the team yet. Um, July 4th of 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, two years. No, it's yep. been longer than two years. Two years? You're right. I joined in January of 2019. Sorry. I think it was a year before uh, January that. So 2018. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So three Sorry. years, three years. So, uh, there we're, you, you know, July 4th, dun, 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 America. Um, so, you know, I think it's time 
that we really start honing our edge, you, you know, um, really becoming other than, hey, let's just throw out a show here and the podcast here, which, you know, Jim has added quite a bit of quality and quantity of good programming to the, you know, we wouldn't be where we're at right now if it wasn't for Jim. I'm going to be up front. Uh, Jim has really, you know, been the Herculean effort uh, for the podcast. So, you know, like that statue of Atlas holding the planet Earth, that's Jim. (laughs) Oh, wow. So yeah, it's too nice, but thank you though. You're welcome. Um, so, you know, <laughs> really, when I when I think of Jim, I think more of a Donut. But you know, okay, <laughs> oh, jeez, okay. right, this is getting kind of weird. <laughs> Cue the soft jazz and the Barry White. It's time for <laughs> sit rep after dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! Dark. Speaking of sit rep after dark, we need to have another Saturday Night Live. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, 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 I even saved my little dudes and haven't painted them yet. So should we, we do that should we try and shoot for next Saturday night? Uh, Marty, do you have anything going on next Saturday? And I know I'm free. So yes and no. Okay, uh, I do have. So there, uh, oddly enough, just 1947. Uh, uh, I was going to say tournament. In America, we don't do tournaments. Uh, giant, giant big boy play dates. Uh, in your fill, so yeah. next town over from you already. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, oh, is that the barbecue? Late. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how late that's going to go. Uh-huh. Gotcha. But, uh, but, if, but if I'm already 10 minutes from your house. Right. Well, I mean. Well, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to plan right for next Saturday it. night. We are going to have a Saturday Night Live. and Because Dawn is interested in joining us. Uh, as long as we don't do a close-up cam of anything she's working on, because she's very um, sensitive about her painting skills, which I think is silly, but whatever. Um, so in the crap that I paint. <laughs> so what I'm saying <laughs> is, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll put out that A10 video, and uh, before the Saturday Night Live, trust me, she'll feel fine. She'll feel <laughs> no. you know what? She'll Jim? take one look at that A10 and say, "Oh, well, my painting's not so bad." Would you yeah. be interested in joining us via? Um, the conference thing. Would you like to be part of the show? I, I or you get... try. Um, I'll definitely be free on Saturday night. Okay. Uh, because you know how we we scammed in, scammed in, uh, did the thing with the Valorant Victory. You know, with the restream where I can just have you invite in, um, and then we can, okay. you know, you can set up your camera for on your hobby table, however you want to do it, and then we can just shoot the shit. Excuse my language, and have some adult beverages and just wax lyrical, as Warren would say, and. You know, go to town. Sir, sir point of order. Has, <laughs> has, that table been, has that table been fixed yet? It will be lowered by the time you come back. So we, even though everybody's asking for a repeat of you falling off the stool. I don't know. I don't mind falling off the stool. I just want it to be from a foot lower. <laughs> just saying. So, all right, guys, you've heard it here on the Sitra podcast on August Seventh day, seventh, right? Yep. Uh, yep. Next Saturday, which is the fourteenth. Uh, what time's good for everybody? Should we shoot for seven thirty ish, eight o'clock? With Jim, what's good for you? I know it's a Saturday night, and it is a Saturday night. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much open. Um, right. Let's Saturday night. So yeah, just 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 uh, you know, let me know. All right, let let's shoot for seven thirty. Um, 
We'll, we'll kick off the show at 7.30. Next Saturday night, it's a Saturday Night Live. We're going to have to come up with a better name because I know sooner or later we're going to get hit with a cease and desist on, from NBC. So, um, Well, sit right after dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come, cool come up with some funky theme music now for that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. All right, sit, uh, sit rep after dark next Saturday at seven thirty. I mean, yeah, give give, give Jim full credit on, on the oh, name. Yeah. We are so going to give we Jim, should use it. Somehow, Jim's is going to end up in the theme song. So don't you worry. All right. Oh, for God's sake! Saint <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day massacre. Uh, the, the, the sit rep after dark. I, I gotta I gotta learn so, to be quiet. <laughs> so, somewhere in the theme song, we need to work in long story short, just yes. so we can get this thing kicked off right. Right. Um, so yeah, you know that's gonna bring back. You know we got to get this website up so I can get some merch out there. Um, guys, in the meantime, if you're looking to get one of our last a few of our uh, first run T-shirts. Nine dollars nine ninety nine plus shipping. Uh, just send us an email to sitrep dot podcast at gmail dot com with your size, color, choice. It's either the forest green or black, and uh, we and your address, obviously, so we can figure out shipping and uh, we will get it to you. Um, we only have a few left, so if you're interested, please let us know, and then you'll see new designs coming because I definitely want to get the new, um, you know, long story short, shot glass available. Um, so, you know, for like these uh, sit rep after dark, you guys can, uh, you know, have it ready when Jim Absolutely. starts waxing lyrical. So, so that's, uh, oh, that's sit rep dot podcast at gmail.com. Yep. All right, that's cool. Because I don't have one of those. New well, Jim, you, you're going to get a care package coming your way, sir. Don't you worry. Oh, okay. Okay. No worries. And, and, and before you send that, because I don't know if I left one over at your place or not, Bill. Uh, I have one of the Set Rep Podcast ball caps for Jim over here. Uh, yeah, you didn't leave it oh. out with us. So, yeah, we'll make sure you get okay, one of the uh, then, original edition you know, with the black. Yeah, I got it. Yay. Yeah, I got, <laughs> got, I got, got it in the loft here still. So, to circle back right quick, you know, this Force on Force thing, really cool, super excited, you know, talking about projects and whatnot. However, I should remind you. We have a Savage Frontier table that we're going to build here in the not-too-distant future as well. Which so, kind of table? You kind of got fuzzy there. Sav- Savage Frontier? Yes. Yeah, we still got to do Savage Frontiers. So, so Savage that, Frontier is basically a snowy mountain forest, right? You can you can repurpose that and double use that for Afghanistan. That sure. or World yeah. War Two. you know? Oh, yeah, yeah Norway. Yeah, Norway, those first, those first commando raids. Yeah. Yeah. So... Excellent. All right. So, guys, are you ready for this? I am now going to say a code word. Sit rep backpack cozy dice. Listen to this again. Sit rep backpack cozy dice. So, for everybody out there, if you've heard that, the first person to post it in the comments below will win one of our last two remaining sit rep podcast cozy dice backpacks. Okay? So, put it in the comment. The first one to comment will win a backpack. All right, moving on. I'm trying to clear out some of the stuff we still have sitting around. Um, let's talk about our topic, guys. Miniatures or board games? Uh, well, are we going to do news first? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot we have a new news guy. I hey, mean. News guy. What's in the news? It's not, 
it's not a ton of stuff. However, uh, I did think, uh, you know, I did, uh, you know, catch a couple of things and, uh-huh. uh, I have, I have one that I am super, uh, excited about and okay. that, uh, we definitely need to talk about. All right, go for it. We all remember our good friend, uh, Walt from Impudent Mortal. Yeah. Uh, he passed away, uh, what? A Two years ago. Year and a half ago. Two and a half yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Impudent Mortal is back online. It has, uh, the company has been sold and is, uh, back up and running. Yeah. They are already attending conventions. Their Facebook page is active again. Yeah. Uh, the webpage, they were still working on getting up to speed. And Bill, take a wild guess who who now has impudent mortal in their care. Hmm. I, I think is it I somebody think, I see somebody it, we know and love. I think he has something to do with uh Warlord, does he not? He does. Yeah, John. John yep. Russell. Uh, Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh so for those of you, uh, you who know, don't know who John excited. Russell is, he is the North American rep for Warlord Games. Uh, we interviewed him at um, Little Wars. Little Wars. Yep. So if yeah. you go back to the video interview with Little War, uh, with John uh, from Little Wars, I think it was our Sunday podcast, was it not? Uh, he, he came in and did part of our podcast on Sunday, yeah. our video podcast. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the big show, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Don said, hey, Impudent Mortals live again. I'm like, what do you mean he's live again? Did they find a cure for death? Um, but, yeah. So, you know, because which is funny because Walt's widow never, as far as I know, never said anything about this transaction. And uh, it was good to see that, yeah. it's you know, it's somebody we know. We know who's going to be respectful. And the designs and everything, you know, he's still going to have the, the original designs. And I'm assuming there'll be some new stuff that'll be created. But I still have yeah. a ton of Impotent Mortal stuff. Believe it or not, I still have a ton of Impotent Mortal stuff still in packaging uh, to be built. So um, it, it's good to see that the company just didn't die away, you know, with Walt. So that's yeah, good news. I, yeah, I'm I'm super excited, and you know, the I I think that John will uh, will do a good job with Walt's legacy. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited about that. You know, the nice thing about Impudent Mortal Terrain, it's it's not overly fancy or complicated. It's just good quality MDF terrain uh, at really reasonable prices. Um, So, you know, if you guys are looking for some good MDF terrain at a very good price, definitely check out Impudent Mortal um, because, you know, I, I have the American Civil War collection. Um, I've built like one, I did a stone cabin, you know, on, on a uh, video for a Wednesday night show once. Um, and I still have a ton more to do. Um, so, you know, there's some really good stuff there. And, um, so yeah, make sure you, you check out John's, uh, takeover of Infinite Mortal and carrying on the legacy of Walt. So that's nice. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not sure how, uh, I'm not sure if they got the webpage up and running yet. Cause I mean, this just happened like a week ago that yeah. it, kind of showed up uh but uh but john has the facebook page and he himself is able to um has, has the admin rights and is able to run that so i'm i'm sure that they're probably trying to sort out the same deal for the web page and then you know obviously that web page has been sitting inactive for a couple of years so they you know there's gonna have yeah. to dust it off you know, yeah 
change it, change a few things in the background, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we're going to have to reach out to uh, John hit- after he's got up and running a little bit and see if we can, you know, work out some kind of partnership or sponsorship or something to really help yeah, we, bring it back. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Mo- Moving on. So su- super exciting stuff. Uh, the, 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 uh, War Games Atlantic. Uh, it seems like these guys are quite prolific. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't just mean that they have a large range, but I mean they continue to put out new stuff. So yep. they have uh, French, French Infantry, uh, nineteen sixteen to nineteen forty, uh, up for pre-order. Wait a minute, French uh, Infantry? The, are they dropping their rifles and running away? Yeah, well, no, they're oh. not Italian. Oh. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> especially in World War One, they were they were pretty hard on defense. Right, I, and the the French they, the, the French they, get a bit of a bad rap in World War Two. Yeah, um, they 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 did better than a lot of people uh, tend to think. If you look at the like ninety three thousand dead um, in those six weeks of uh, operate, uh, not only case oh god, I'm going to get it wrong now, case yellow, but also case red. Um, you, you don't drop. 93,000 dead by, by not fighting. Right. They did better than a lot of people think. They were just hopelessly, number one, outpositioned, and then number two, uh, yeah, I mean, the French Army in 1940 had, had some had some hella issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but... So, in yeah, World they got, they War One, a bit of a so, bad rap. So, you know, all kidding aside, because, you know, there's a lot of, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. There's a lot of people over across the channel that do make fun of the, the French all the time about, you know, their capabilities. But as an American looking across the pond in World War One, Jim, were they swept aside kind of like they were in the first years of World War Two, or were they Absolutely more robust? Not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, they, they, they obviously lost as many battles as they won, but the same could be said for everybody. Yeah. Uh, the, the British definitely included. And as far as being swept aside goes, um, you know, well, because yeah, what comes to mind case, is the Maginot line, right? You know what happened. Yeah, Case Yellow, Case Yellow definitely, you know, outmaneuvers the the, the French and sort of, uh, you know, you know, gets them on the back foot. But you know what? As far as you know, the people across the channel making fun of the French, they don't have too much room to talk. Yeah, uh, they had their little booty spanked well off the friggin' continent. Um, you know. <laughs> they like to celebrate Dunkirk. Dunkirk was a it was a masterclass in running away. So you know they also have yeah. a lot to uh, sort of answer for as far as you know <laughs> uh, you know fleeing the Germans. But then again, everybody was you, fleeing the Germans. In right. those first you say running away like it's a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, but, yeah, that's my I mean, point. We, you you might not win the just, war, but but you get to keep your dudes alive. <laughs> You get to keep your dudes alive. You get to stay in the fight. And, um, yeah, I mean, re- retreating in the face of, a, of, a, of an aggressive, numerically superior enemy is one of the most difficult maneuvers to execute. You yeah. know, is you know, how, how to successfully disengage from a side that doesn't want to disengage, and i.e. he's winning. By default, he's in control yeah. of the battle space. And, you know, how do you break off and still keep your forces somewhat intact? Sure. Yeah. That's, that, Whether that's it's Dunkirk or it's the Chosen Reservoir. Oh God, yeah, longest retreat in American history. Right. So yeah, I mean, when it comes to re- when it comes to retreats, there's there, there's there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but no, the French, uh, yeah, did you know a little bit better in World War One? That's for sure. Well, that's good. Um, that, you know, you could clear up that because you know I I only know a little bit about World War One, unfortunately. 
Um, but, you know, you always hear that the French were always, you know, outgunned, out. I don't want to say outclassed because whatever the case may be. I think, you know, the German war machine by the time World War II came around was better in the early years than pretty much anybody in Europe. You know, I, I don't think anybody can argue that point too much. But, you know, that's all you hear is, you know, it, you know the French, you know, kept getting overrun and stuff. So it's nice to hear that that's not actually think, the case. So I think a lot of that kind of blurs a lot of people's view of history Mm -hmm. is uh not terribly precise and they hear a couple stories they see a couple youtube videos they watch a couple things on the history channel and they sort of get this view of you know i mean ask most americans like okay name three things about french military history and they're going to name oh they retreated in world war one they retreated in world war two and they retreated out of russia with napoleon i mean it's it's all retreat and that's not you know um and again their their performance in the opening six weeks of their part of world war two um I think sort of casts a shadow over a lot of stuff because again, people just don't know enough or don't you know don't don't read enough, right. and they think oh French in Europe against the Germans they always run away, and okay they do have a bad track record they lost against the Germans in what was really the first act that was actually not two wars that was a trilogy, a lot of people tend to forget the Franco-Prussian War of 1870 where the Germans walked into Paris and then comes World War One where they damn near walked into Paris again and then World War Two they walked into Paris a third time. Um, it, it does build up a trend that we, we're not, we're not letting them off the hook entirely, but at the same time, um, yeah, World War One, I, I think they put up a much better fight than, than they did in either Franco-Prussian War or World War Two. Exactly. So again, the, the French, the French against the Italians, the Italians invaded them at the same time, man, they spanked the Italians, they spanked their little bottoms blue. Um, and yeah. then later on, the, oh, they, they whipped <laughs> them. Yeah, they, they were outnumbered yeah. by the Italians. In, like, I'm talking about like the, the southern. Okay, if you, if you look if you look at a map of Europe, you've got um, that that little bit of the border between northern Italy and southern France, right there by the Alps. There's a second front of that 1940 campaign right down there that nobody ever talks about, and uh, it's six divisions of French up against like a quarter of a million, or up to I can't remember. I think it's about a quarter of a million Italians, and uh, they get absolutely nowhere. In fact, by the end of that campaign, I think the French actually uh, occupied a little bit of Italian territory. Um, then again, the Italians also lost the war to the Albanians. I'm not kidding about that. In about the same time period, they barely conquered well, Abyssinia. They had to use chemical warfare to conquer uh, what is today the, the Ethiopians. So, yeah, the Italians were <laughs> probably doing even worse than the French were. Yeah, uh, I remember in high school, yeah. you know, Marty, what did you used to tell me all the time when we were in high school? <laughs> I have a good Italian rifle. It's only been dropped once or something like that. Only, but. Never been fired, only dropped one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't log down the syrup of the, the, the podcast, but there's another whole story about that. There's, all, there's always reasons and context. Yeah. And again, it's not often, it's not always to excuse uh, these things or to kind of pass it off. But, um, and then, at, you know, later on, uh, when the French sort of get a second chance, you know, with, with the Lendley's campaign and De Gaulle and the, the French in exile and the free French movement, they they start whipping some ass. Yeah. They become like the Poles. You want to talk about some crazy people, man. Um, you know, all oh, the Poles, they got overrun in less than, you know, 
three and a half weeks or something like that. Yeah, start looking at Polish units as early as the Battle of Britain, or even before that. Polish units were fighting in exile in Norway. These guys were like, okay, we just got our asses whipped. We've got to come back from this. And these guys are insane. Who took Monte Cassino? The Americans failed. The British failed. The uh, the the, uh, the uh, some people, several several different nations failed. Uh, the Americans failed again. Uh, we were there. We were stuck there for like six months or five months at least. And then finally, it was the Poles who cracked that open, um, that position open. You know, Poles, Free French, uh, even Czech units fought in North Africa. These countries that supposedly got air quotes conquered so easily early in the early in the conflict. Um, you know, the, when these little armies get a chance to try again, you know, later on, later on in the history, they almost have like this sting of wounded pride mm-hmm. and it shows in their combat record. I mean, not just, oh, victories and losses and, you know, wins and losses, victories and defeats, but just how friggin' ferocious they are. Polish pilots in the Battle of Britain, free French pilots in the Battle of Britain, they're friggin' crazy because they sort of have like this stigma of defeat and they're trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times. So, you know, also I'm going to just shout out to the French military. If it wasn't for the French military in the American war of independence, we may still be a British colony. So, you know, uh, between oh, them yeah. and I mean, some of the Polish, uh, you know, generals and colonels that came over. So to help us. So, you know, we, we still have that connection. American, the father of American cavalry and the father of American combat engineers. Yeah. Two different guys. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna totally uh, Polanski and because I'm, yeah. I'm not because yet still Polanski. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Which we have a statue yeah. here in Chicago in, of. In, in Chicago, we actually celebrate Polanski Day. Yes, we do. Because we have yeah, the largest of, Polish of, population outside the city of Warsaw um, here right? in Chicago. So. A lot of times, people will throw around the oh, you know. In 1917, 18, we basically saved France, which isn't really true. 1944, we saved France again, which is a little bit more true. But even if those two things were true, which, again, they're not really, um, all that really does is make us even yeah. as far as the French goes. I, I agree. Because, you know, Yorktown, yeah. <laughs> Saratoga, uh, you know, Brandywine, there's no way we're walking out of the, yeah, the, like you were mentioning, the American Revolution without uh, massive French support. Yeah. And as far as what it cost the French, it literally brought down their monarchy. There is no French Revolution without the American uh, War of Independence, because that's what bank that's that's how Louis the Sixteenth completely wrecked his government was paying all of our bills yeah. and supporting us in a war he really shouldn't have been involved in. Um, it got to the, it wasn't like a casual thing, like oh sure we'll go in some support because we hate the British too. No, it's it got to the point where their treasury got so destabilized and so bankrupt that. Was it nine years later, eight years later, the French government collapses and you have the French Revolution and right from the French Revolution, you have Napoleon. So with no American Revolution, there's no French Revolution and there's no Napoleon. There's no rise of the British Victorian Empire. It's all the chain. It all just kind of links together. Yeah, it's interesting how all that happened. Absolutely. All right. All right. Stop talking. I got more news. (laughs) I got got, got things. Go for it. And and all right, and this stuff isn't gonna, I don't think, require a, a lot of uh, discussion so much as uh, you know, it's just a little information to share. So we talked about uh, uh, Kickstarter uh, last uh, podcast, as well as we talked about uh, the uh, doing the table for the uh, 
Savage Frontier. Yeah. So Savage Frontiers Kickstarter from Footstore Ventures. Uh, our good friend Tim Spakowski over there uh, working on that. So I went and checked the status, and there's no uh, there's no recent status update on uh, the Kickstarter comments itself. But I scrolled through the comments, and uh, you know there were some that he had responded to, and uh, basically what you know what I got for uh, out of that was. They are on schedule to deliver, uh, as promised, uh, January 22, which puts me right into my next Kickstarter update uh, for Blood and Plunder. Uh, I thought they were supposed to deliver, deliver in September. Was it originally two. January? I thought it was September. I thought the I thought the foot sore was uh, for that was January. Oh, okay, because Blood and Plunder was supposed to deliver end of September October time frame. Okay. However, delivery's been moved back to January 22 gotcha. for Raise the Black. Okay. So so I got a bunch of stuff coming in in the new year. It well, then like, it sounds I, like I, you've got to do some videos in January. <laughs> yeah, I backed both of those. <laughs> and then uh, uh, my, my final uh, news item, uh, something that uh, we look forward to every year, Wargame Soldiers and Strategy has opened the 2021 great wargaming survey yeah so, uh, there's always some interesting stuff that comes out of those i i enjoy seeing the results so uh you know go to uh you know wss and uh fill out your survey right. and you know we, we can report on that uh whenever they have published the results i forget when it's going to be but that gentlemen is my news all right the news brought to you by marty Okay, yeah. let's talk topic. Miniatures or board games? Which do you like better or which do you prefer? I don't know if like better is a uh, good uh, question. What do you think in today's world would draw more people to play? Or are they just two so different categories that you really can't compare one to the other? Are we talking brand new players or anybody? Just anybody okay. coming into the game. I mean, obviously brand new players because you want to grow the. You know, what do you think? One, what is your preference? And two, what do you think? You know, really translate to playability, um, replayability. You know that th- type of thing. So, you know, is it? What are the barriers? What's the entry? You know, those kind of things. So if you're looking at a miniatures-based game, let's say it's a, almost a similar genre or campaign or battlefield miniature versus a board game. Ooh, I, I will let everybody else speak first until because I, as I listen to these podcasts, I realize I talk too much. <laughs> you so, do not talk too much. Um, that's yeah, you that's what ahead. the people come here for is actually to listen to you. So uh, they don't they don't come to listen to me. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I think I think oftentimes the board games are kind of the uh, gateway drug of getting new people into uh, tabletop gaming. Uh huh. You know, so. Uh, uh, I like them if you are, you know, looking for something that has probably got a, a lower barrier to entry because you could literally buy a box that has everything that you need to play. There uh-huh. may be expansions and stuff, but you can 
literally crack open the box. Maybe you got to paint a figure or assemble a vehicle or whatever. Uh, but you can do that and then, you know, be playing. Right. Whereas with the miniature rule set and whatnot, you, you, you may have to collect all those things individually. Yeah. Uh, you know, the table will be as, as built or unbuilt as you make it. Right. You know, but, uh, I think that as well as, uh, speed of play for uh, most of the board games, uh, I would go out on limb and say are, are faster to play. So, uh, again, especially for someone that's new to want to get into a game that's, you know, four hours long, eight hours long, or do maybe we want to ease them into it with something that's 40 minutes long. Right. And then they can get their head around it. And then you turn around and play it again. And now that they have a better grasp of the rules, they're like, oh, I'm going I'm to jack you up this time because I know my guy does X, Y, and Z now. Sure. So, so uh, I think they, uh, obviously, I think they both have their place. But uh, I, I really think that the, the board game side of things can be a really good way to bring uh, new folks uh, to the hobby, if you will. Sure. Yeah. So from my standpoint, it depends on what you're trying to play because obviously it's much easier to play large armies, you know, division and up or even brigade and up on a board game versus miniature unless you're at a, you know, depending on scale and the ratio of what a miniature represents. Um, and really the investment time is much less on a board game versus a miniature game. So, you know, in my case, you know, we have the uh, Epic Battles American Civil War. You know, I can paint, even though there are, what, 12 mil, 15 mil, whatever the official scale is, of those minis. 12, I think, yeah. yeah. You know, I still got to paint hundreds of them, right? Um, and they, you know, what stand represents, you know, this many guys. Um, and then you got to look at terrain and stuff, you know, so from a storage standpoint and the construction. So... Miniature gaming is really two hobbies in of itself. Maybe even three if you really want to get crazy. I was going to say at least two. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's the actual hobby and crafting side, right? Painting, assembly, that kind of stuff. Then you actually have the gameplay itself. And then if you're really crazy and you want to do some really awesome scenery, that's a hobby in of itself. So you've got the miniature painting, especially when you're talking Civil War and especially Napoleonics with everybody with their different color schemes and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, building the appropriate table, you know, and it could be as complex as it can be or simple. Depend, you know, you could do felt circles and squares for different things. I've seen people just use felt, right, as houses and fields and woods and et cetera. Yeah, um, you go to Joanne Fabrics and get a couple of yards of teddy bear fur right. and have at it. Yeah, so, I mean, so in, you know, miniature, so in – you know, some people will say, well, it takes forever to set up certain war games. You know, I'm talking board games, you know, because you got to do, you know, based on the scenario, you got to get these unit pieces and you set them up and it takes a while. Yeah, but it also takes quite a bit of time to set up a game board. You know, historically, if you're doing a portion of, let's say, Shiloh, right, or, you know, the Civil War or Chancellorsville or whatever the case may be, or even the Battle of the Bulge, you know, if you want to go that or. You know, whatever the case may be, because you want to make sure the terrain's right and, and you know, all this stuff. And um, so for scale purposes, I'd say board games are going to be your game of choice, pun intended, for uh, larger scale battles. You know, unless you have a lot of room and, 
you know, you're working in 10 mil or 6 mil or even 3 mil. You know, what that table we saw at Little Wars, was that 6 mil they were using for Gettysburg? Um, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. And that table was huge. 18 feet long. Yeah, and it was beautiful. I mean, but, you, you know, it took them probably all day to set it up before they could even play. So, you know, honestly, though, in today's world, even some there are skirmish games that are not board games where each guy has its own piece, you know, and you have terrain and stuff. You know, it's all printed. And in today's world, it almost seems like it's easier to pull out a box for a board game, you know, set it up and play it, and then you can stack it up, put it back, and throw it back on your shelf versus I got to get all my minis out and I got to do this, and then I got to, how am I going to store all this stuff, you know? So it's it's interesting where we see gamers going. Is it towards what I can set up easy, what I can store easy? It's still appealing to me. I love a well-designed and well-built miniature game table. The visual aspect of it is what I really strive for. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a rule of cool guy, so yeah. I, I like that stuff. You know, I, I'm, I'm staring right at my uh, 3D printed water mill that I did a s- scene for. You know, it's a, a printable scenery water mill, and, you know, I've got it terrained in and i did it as a display piece it, it can be used for like lord of the rings or whatever you know i've got really nice model railroad trees i've actually got fake water coming off the water wheel and you know grass and bushes and reeds and you know that's the kind of stuff i really enjoy spending time doing however the problem is you have to store it right and after a while of playing on those things they get worn down and broken and you got to repair it and you know stuff like that so you know it just depends i think on the person's interest what they have available for time and space and budget i mean you can play war and peace from avalon hill for roughly 35 40 dollars these days off of ebay you know on a game board or you can spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars buying miniatures to do the Napoleonic Wars, you know, and then you have to have a place to store it. So it, it's an interesting question as to where do you go and what what draws people these days. So that's what I think so far. Jim, the floor is yours, sir. Here uh, we you, go. No, no, that's, that's all good. Because um, honestly, I think Bill has already said – actually, you both have. Uh, Bill and especially Bill, though, have, has already said most of what I was going to say. Um, I come from uh, definitely, you know, in my own you know, gaming journey or whatever you want to call it, uh, definitely come from, you know, Hex Encounters, board games, uh, kind of a, uh, of a background. I used to be, stress used to be, yes, one of those people who looked at miniatures and saying, oh, look at that. You guys are so adorable playing with your little toys. Did you buy them at the drugstore? Aww. Gray versus or green versus tan, isn't that nice? <laughs> People, please grow up and play a real war game. What the hell's the matter with you? Know? Um, and then I sort of gave you know miniature wargaming a try, and I was like, oh wait, this is actually kind of fun. So uh, yeah, so, I very quickly uh, stopped, uh, you know, with that you know previous attitude. And, <laughs> um, there. Yeah, and now I, I I I freely and liberally and smoothly you know swing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a hybrid gamer, if you would. I I, I play on both sides of the fence. Uh, wow, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> you guys, You're a swinger and you do both sides of the fence. 
Yeah, I, 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 a risky place for both teams. So anybody who just joined no, us in the exactly podcast, we are we talking games. You. <laughs> yeah, that's on the internet forever now. But that also, um, yeah, so it's uh, exactly. I think I think Bill hit it on the head. Uh, as far as it depends on, on it depends on what you're doing. It depends on what you're trying to to simulate. Um, it's like you know a, a carpenter trying to build a house. Sometimes you need a sledgehammer to break up concrete. Sometimes you need a finishing hammer to you know install your molding. It's it's not every tool is good for every job. Um, I used to. I mean, I, I as, as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, I played Panzer Leader, Panzer Blitz. In those days, you would buy the box at your local bookstore for ten bucks. Again, in those days, and um, you, I still have it and I still use it. Um, you literally have everything you you need in there for decades worth of gaming, which I yeah. think was part of the reason some of those games kind of went away is they were almost too good. I mean, for ten bucks, yeah. you would buy Panzer Blitz yeah. and done. Yeah, you can't really yeah victim of their own success, if you will. <laughs> you yeah, and then the, the Panzer Blitz came with twelve scenarios in the box, and then you would you know players would play the twelve scenarios. And then they would realize that they haven't used all the pieces that came in the box. This is way before the internet. We were talking about the general magazine, uh, Bill, before the podcast. Yeah. And I remember people are writing letters to the general magazine in like 1982 saying, I don't know what's going on here. I think I'm missing something out of the box, but I've played all 12 of the scenarios that you included in this, that you included in this box. And I still have counters I've never used. And the answer came back and it was blowing people. It's going to sound really cheesy today, but at the time it was blowing people away. Hey, we we want you to make up your own scenarios. We gave you extra pieces so you could do that. Mm-hmm. You can make up your own games. People are like, "What? <laughs> oh my god!" It, you know, it was a new thing back then. Yeah. Um. So that's uh, what, I'm yeah. not a game designer. I just play the game. What 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 do you mean? Do yeah, my I, own? I, we mean make up my own games. You're crazy. Uh, or not my own game, but my own scenarios. Yeah, go for it. You know, they wanted you to be a little bit more creative. So that's where I think miniature uh, that's where i think board gaming has a bit of an edge um i would warn against the overall perception um at least not not the overall perception the universal perception don't think that it's always this way it's like it's my warning that you know oh board games don't have a lot of painting they don't have a lot of uh you know building terrain storage therefore they're going to be easier or or quicker to play the thing about a board game is that they don't have that, like you're talking about several hobbies. Board games, like big hex encounter games, don't include building, painting, terrain, storage, paints, different kinds of glues, you know, that whole part of the hobby. And so it focuses 100% of its mind space, so to speak, in the rules. Your average miniature game versus your average board game is night and day as far as rules complexity. Mm-hmm. When it comes to when it comes to a, a hex encounter game, GDW Assault, Panzer Blitz, Panzer Leader, Arab Israeli—it's all about the rules and the rules compared to a miniature war game. I'm not trying to say that miniature games are simplistic or you know, uh, you know, for ages you know eight and up. Or you know, I'm not trying to make any kind of insinuation there, but they know that you've already. By the time you open the rule book, you've already you know invested a lot of money and time and brain power, honestly, into you know the construction of your miniatures and your hobby and all that stuff like that. With a with a hex encounter game, with a board game, you open it up, you set it up, and now it's nothing but rules. Yeah, nothing but 
levels of, I don't want to say complexity, but levels of nuance, levels of subtlety, levels of uh, depth of, you know, how, how deep it gets into what's actually going on on the table. So, yeah, I got Rise and Decline of the Third Reich on, you know, on my shelf. I've played that game since 1983. <laughs> I guess they kind of threw me in on the deep end on that one. Right. The full campaign version, if you set up a six-player game, that will take you a day to set up. Yeah. It will take you a hobby day. It takes at least four hours to just to set up the pieces and kind of get that game going again. And you'll be at it for a week. Yeah. Um, there's obviously scenarios within that that allow you to take it on at a more bite-sized table. But yeah, some board, game, and some board games are definitely, you know, and that's not even really a big one by today's standards. Decision Games, War in the Pacific, World at War, has 29 square feet of maps and over 9,000 counters in the box. A cardboard paper and cardboard hex and counter game costs you $550 um, because it's that big. I am so good at that game. It's so huge. Yeah. I've never played it. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> I'm not encouraged. I don't. I don't want to say anything bad about the game because I, God bless decision games. Um, but uh, that is. I mean, you have to put a new wing on your house. I get 27 square feet of maps. You yep. need to have it. Yeah, that's going to be a room of your house. And this game can take like three months for a game. Challenge accepted. All right, Jim. You and I are playing it. Oh no! What did I just say? <laughs> you said uh, I've never I... played. I don't think I ever will. Challenge accepted. I, I, huh? I'm never going to play this game. The next thing you say is, "Hey, James, you and I are going to play this game." I'm like, ah. I got a pool table downstairs. Um, We're going to put the board on a pool table. We'll set it up, and that'll be where it's set. Yeah, twenty-seven square. That's more than a pool table. Well, that's like several. That's like several maps. Huh? You're gonna have to have now if you have a pool room. Because you're going to have several tables. This yeah. game is like you walk into your that room in your house, and you're literally in a situation room yeah. where there's like maps on the walls, and you're looking around, and you are like Chester Nimitz or Douglas. Well, I got the space. Well, how, the space. how how big is how how big is a four by eight uh, sheet of plywood? Well, it's several maps, so it's not just one like twenty four square feet. Right, but so, um, I'm saying that you know, it's well while, while it's big, it's doable. Yeah. And, and I have the space, space sure. so yeah, I definitely have the space. Anyways, uh, yeah, I agree. So, um, you know, that's one of those ones I keep eyeballing. So, Jim, I, I, I accept your challenge. I, I heard the challenge subtly in there. So. <laughs> Jim, this is all your fault. Somebody else can help me. Don, Don, when you want to blame somebody, this is Jim's fault, not Marty's this is fault. So not my fault. <laughs> I started my sentence that this game is the way of madness. No. Um, but you said it's a pill. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. The last thing I'll say on the whole miniatures versus board game thing is, okay, that was the kind of, you know, warning. I don't want to say warning against, but the, the, the whole like cautionary tale about going into board games. Uh-huh. Here's the thing about military war games, like big war games. Um, the uh, it will save on storage space and you will save on money. I will say that yeah. that's that's definitely big pluses. You know, a good thing about especially especially big command level, we always talk about the four levels of wargaming. So, like you know, command level or or scale tactical, whatever you want to call it, unit based games, operational games, strategic games, and grand strategic games. You get up into that higher higher level stuff, and people often look at these. And I've heard this from the community a bunch of times. In person, 
on both sides of the water, uh, online, in Discord, uh, on, on in YouTube comments, the whole nine yards. Um, they're like, you know, I, I get what you're doing there. I understand that you're playing like a brigadier general or like commanding like, you know, a brigade or a regiment or a major general commanding a division or who knows what. But I just don't have that immersion. I don't really feel like I'm on a battlefield. I mean, what, what do you think real war looks like once you get up into those levels? Right. You know, a general. Very, yeah, very true. General is not sitting there on top of a farmhouse with a pair of binoculars. And if you walk into an army TOC, you're not going to see guys with little green army men on a, on a miniature table. You know, they're looking at a tactical operations map. They're looking at little squares with X's in them for infantry or ovals for armor or the little, you know, uh, sideways eight or infinity symbol right. for air units. You know, you, that's what, you know, as far as, and you're sitting there and you're drawing arrows on a map. That's, that's what it actually looks like. I mean, that's um, why the army has a whole, well, actually the department of defense ha- has a whole manual on military symbiology because yeah, that's yeah. where we use it. And, uh, Strategy and Tactics has some great articles about that where they're like, look, I know everyone has seen these maps and you see all these little rectangles and you see these symbols within the rectangles and you're like, what the hell is all this gibberish? There is a code to that. Yep. And it, it totally makes sense and it's not that complicated. Exactly. <laughs> and then also, uh, you know, it's, it's even like, I think, uh, uh, Bill, when, when you and I used to go over to, uh, to the to the Beast of War studio have the, and uh, participate in those boot camps. Uh-huh. Um, we have some of these big maps set up, and then eventually, I think, include in uh, to some of the people that were running these events. They were like, you know, Ariskany, your your map looks really impressive, and and yay, it looks very pretty, but nobody knows what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Maybe you should do a little video study where you explain what all right. these little symbols mean. Uh, I thought, oh, okay, that's probably a good. Yeah, point. I got I me mean, because a lot of those people are not military, so they wouldn't, you know. If you've not played Hex Encounter games or been in the military, a lot of that stuff is going to look very foreign to you. So, right. you know, you know, so. And we're not making it up. It's yeah. the actual real military symbols used exactly. by NATO and other armies. Um, so as far as the immersion goes, when it comes to, a lot of times people tend to think that board game, board game, I keep saying board game geek, <laughs> that board games don't have that kind of immersion. Um, it really does. It's just, it's going for a different part of the military experience with which you might not be that familiar. You have to think um, a little bit not... more abstract to, to see it. But I mean, I, I, when I'm in playing, when we've played Panzer Blitz or Panzer Leader, you know, and we're looking at those pieces on the board, I, after a while, can see, all right, this is my tanks. You know, these are my mechanized infantry, whatever. You start to see it, you know. But you really have to be immersed in it, you know, versus a visual tank on a miniature board or infantry guys, whatever. You can see well, it, yeah, and you can be immersed playing, in it. If you're playing force on force, bolt action, uh, flames of war, yeah, you are playing at most. They always call it. Well, here's my force. Here's here's my flames of war army, dude. You're an understrength company at best. Trust me. Um, I know it's just a term, but it actually goes to the strengths of the two different mediums that we're comparing with this discussion. Yeah. You know, when you're playing like a first lieutenant, almost like a role-playing game, if you're take, when you sit down at a war game table, you're taking on the role of a commander of one level or another. And if you're playing a miniatures game, yeah, you want that 
You want that visual impact. You want that. I'm a first lieutenant. I have two platoons of tanks and I'm supported by some infantry. Maybe I have some offboard artillery support. I've got my radio man right next to me. We're all set. Here we go. He is in a tank turret. He looks out with his binoculars or through his gunnery sight. He's seen trees, bushes, buildings, streams, fences. You want the terrain on those tables and you want to see enemy tanks because that's what that commander is seeing. You're clicking up to brigade, division, corps, army. I got bad news for you. Those guys are nowhere. They're not within 20 miles of the battlefield. They never, they wouldn't know a tank if it ran over their feet. Okay. (laughs) They're looking at a map with little orange, uh, with little rectangle squares and symbols on it. I understand what people are saying when they say you have to get abstract. Not really, because that's what that commander sees. That commander is looking at a map with grid squares, and he's moving symbols around a map. As far as immersion goes, that's what he is. You want more immersion? Turn the lights off and put on some artillery noise in the background or something, and you're in that TOC, and you're you're commanding that battle. That's what that commander sees. If it's not your cup of tea, that's fine, but that is what war looks like from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to your point, Jim, as, uh, you know, as the actual military officers throughout their career, they've started at that lowest level, you know, a gamer's skirmish level. If you oh will. yeah. Yeah. You know, and then they built their way up. So this, the system has been ingrained in them, uh, of symbiology and tactics going, uh, as they progress through their career. So it is intuitive to them. They understand it because they've lived it on the ground and then they've built their way up into higher and higher levels. So they understand exactly what it means when they look at this little box with uh, uh, an X and oval and three dots. And they're like, okay, that that's a mechanized infantry platoon. They're yeah. going over there. And that's, you know, 35 lives I have in my hand as I pick up this little square and I move it two inches on this, on this grid map. Um, so he's got to be a little bit careful as far as that aspect of it goes. Yeah. Certainly. yeah. So, you know, it leads to another, just something that popped in my head when listening to what Marty just said. You could almost do a career mode for somebody in wargaming. So brand new lieutenant. Ooh, that's a good concept. Brand new lieutenant, you're doing skirmish miniatures game, right? Captain, you're doing a skirmish game, but you're now a company, you know, uh, CO. And then, yeah, you start off with bolt action, yep. work your way up to Flames of War. Yep. Then you go to, let's see, what would be next? Uh, probably something like uh, North Ag. Yep. You finally make the jump to either Valor and Victory or, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. So by the time That's you... That's kind you, of a cool concept, isn't it? All yeah. right, I just thought of another yeah. grand idea. <laughs> so could we merge that idea with the Force on Force campaign idea? Oh. Uh. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I think that'll take away from the Jim, force you, on force. You got, Jim, you got the big brain. Tell, tell <laughs> us. Can, we, can we do that? Um, the thing with a career mode, as far as that goes, is definitely interesting. The only word of warning, or not word of warning, the only cautionary, uh, you know, tale there is that you're also going to be jumping across different wars. Yeah. Because uh, military career uh, tends yeah, to last thirty yeah. years. And thank God, uh, wars tend not to last 30 years. So we see, you know, Patton was playing Flames of War in 1917, 1918. By 1943, he was playing, you know, he was past Panzer Blitz by that point. He was playing big operational battles. Um, Yeah, so we would have to, yeah, if you're a lieutenant. We could start in in Vietnam as a lieutenant. Yeah. 
Or uh, Star- World War II Korea, Vietnam? Uh, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf had a rifle company, I think, in Vietnam. And by yeah. Desert Storm, he had, uh, you know, he had uh, uh, Centag. Yeah. Or whatever he had all of them. Centcom. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. But the thing is that, yeah, we're, we, if you wanted to do it and you wanted to do it with a sense of realism, you will be skipping over uh, or, or, or jumping from one conflict to another. Which is, yeah. Um, Oh, that's a Which, grand I mean, idea. It would add a little, a little bit to the work, but yeah, not, 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 not that much. Yeah. We just have to find a nice slice of history where the wars are close we, enough together. Yeah. You do Vietnam. Yeah. Then you do Grenada, Panama, Desert Storm. Yeah. Well, when you look at Grenada and Panama, let's be real. There, there was like, you know, 1% of, of uh, yeah. the army involved. Well, I'm in just that. saying, I mean, you know, was... I'm just getting the creative juices flowing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of these guys, a lot of. First of all, Marty, that's very true. But a lot of these guys that were in all these conflicts, there's two things that make that idea viable. Is number one, a lot of the guys that were involved in all these conflicts are the real tip of the spear type type of guys. You but, know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. True. Yeah. And then yeah, number that. one, they they tend to by hook or by crook, they're always in the middle of it somehow. Their MOS, their postings, eighty they second know. airborne all the way, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, number two, if we wanted to do this, we would only want to do like one or two battles per conflict anyway. So, yeah, Grenade is kind of a joke as far as its, you know, military scope goes. But again, it's just a stop because you want to get past Grenade as quickly as you can so you can get to Panama, so you can get to Desert Storm, so you can get to Somalia, so you can get to Kosovo, so you can get to War on Terror in 2001, 2002, so you can get to Iraq in 2003. Um, yeah. You, just, you can, you know, kind of get your guy promoted quickly. You don't want to get bogged down in 50 scenarios of ambush valley in Vietnam to get from second lieutenant to first lieutenant to captain. Because, like, dude, I'm trying to get my five stars here, man. You know, I mean, or my four stars. I don't want to. Get... <laughs> and you know, like, I don't want to spend the Christmas. You know? I'm on a mission. I got things to do here. Let's go. You know, and, right? the, and the interesting thing is, if you don't do well in a certain battle. It affects your promotion. So we'd have to do a rule where, you know, if we're doing a career mode, you're not going to get promoted. You'd have to do, oh, there's so much potential here. And and, and it encompasses everything that we as war gamers, military war gamers, you know, it's going to get everybody's interest. You're going to have your miniature war gamers are going to be interested because, you know, we're starting at that lieutenant level all the way up to Jim's Hex Encounter games, you know. By the time you get to Desert Storm and stuff, you're, you know, general, you're commander of Suntag and the whole nine yards, you're controlling the entire conflict, right? The battlefield, so. It, it totally, it totally yeah. uh, clicks into each other. Yeah. Everybody who was at any kind of flag rank, anybody who had stars on their shoulder in Desert Storm started off as either a platoon or a company commander in Vietnam or a lieutenant jg in the navy or you know something yep. like that a pilot like, like chuck horner was i think a pilot and he knew all about operation rolling thunder in vietnam he was the commander of the air forces there in, in desert storm and he called the air conflict or his, his air campaign in desert storm he called it instant thunder and it was basically i remember vietnam i was there i saw all the mistakes the generals at the time were making i was only a lieutenant or a you know lieutenant commander or something like that or not lieutenant commander um lieutenant or a major at the time captain or a major at the time we're going to do things differently this time so yeah you would almost get to apply you know lessons learned in previous conflicts and oh, this could be any any yeah. period 
all the guys, all the guys you read about in the American Civil War, they were all in Mexico. They all knew each other. They yeah. had all, you know, they'd been in some of the same units, and now they were on opposite sides of the war. Yeah. They'd all been in Mexico. All the, all the, especially the British commanders and some of the American commanders too, in the American Revolution, they'd all been pals or former enemies. Yeah. They all knew each other from French and Indian or the Seven Years' War, as as it really was. Yeah. Um, yeah. This kind of thing, you know, World War Two. Good grief. Everybody, Rommel was like a, an infantry captain. Uh, um, uh, Patton had a battalion of tanks. MacArthur was his CO uh, with like one of the brigades. I think 82nd was just the infantry division. I think it was 82nd U.S. Infantry in those days. It wasn't airborne yet, obviously. Right. Um, yeah, they were all in, in previous conflicts. And then a lot of those guys wound up in Korea. Yeah. So, uh, Jim. Ridgeway yep. wound up in Korea afterwards, after MacArthur kind of shit the bed in Korea. So, yeah. So totally. totally do this. So guys, so I'm very excited about this idea, if you can't tell. So we can make this participatory for other people. So if we set the guidelines that these are the conflicts and this is your career mode, we could have people like post to our Discord channel. We could set up a, a separate page on our Discord channel and stuff. You know, the sit rep career campaign, you know, and say, okay, you start with this rule set. And you play this and this, and then you go up from there. And we could, you know, have people do their own careers and see how it goes. What do you think of that? And we could be like HQDA and be like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's not good enough. So you got to do. So they get to play along know, with us, yeah. you know, as we go or, through the stages and, you know, video it, air it, and all that stuff. People can do their own career, and they would be able to have a, a place to post their careers and their battle reports sure. and, you know, that stuff. And then it, it, it has, you know, we so we'd have to set the, the campaigns. Now, then we'd have to kind of, Jim, would you have to set the kind of units so that would follow that track, you know, or can you just say you can be this type of guy and we're not going to go no. 100% historical and say, okay, well, you we don't, we don't want to get too specific because we get, the more specific you get, the more limiting you get. Right. Right. Um, so we would definitely want to set, the period. Uh-huh. Um, if we want to stick with it with an American history line, okay, we've got yeah, Vietnam through War on Terror. Well, if we go Vietnam, if we go Vietnam to War on Terror, that would include the Australians. You know, because um, they were in Vietnam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there, there's definitely right, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, get your index in there. You know, and they were, what, East Timor? So they could have their Grenada, whatever. You know, we could come up with alternatives because not everybody yeah. wants to play Americans. Let's not, you know. No, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, it's just, there's, yeah, we have to set the sort of time period and then, uh, you know, go from there. I or, think that's probably the best option because I think that offers the most choice. Or we just say, okay, we're going to do a Vietnam scenario and you can bring your equivalent to an American infantry platoon. So if it's an Australian or British or French or whatever, you know, if we're, if we're willing to give a little bit of creative license, you know, if they weren't actually in Vietnam, but the, at that time period, they have the equivalency. So, you know, they just have to, it has to be time period appropriate. And, you know, we'd all be fighting the same enemy. So, you know, case NVA Viet Cong in, in Vietnam. And then, you know, we, whatever the next battle is and the next battle is, you know, they just have to have the time period appropriate military. Does that make sense? Right. And then, certainly. 
So and like not, a, a, a lot of times people tend to not like a lot of times people tend to not like historical gaming because oh it's too restrictive. Right. Uh, you just haven't read enough history. Were British units in Vietnam? No. Flat out no. Yeah. But they were in Malaysia. Yeah. They were in Indonesia. They were in four other different, you know, jungle countries in Africa. Uh, trust me, there's a way. You just, you know, it's sometimes you have to like read a book or an article or something like that, or just talk to somebody who knows about this kind of stuff. There's a way to get to where you want to be gaming wise. Um, if you want to play British in the jungle, fighting communists in the 1960s. Oh, they weren't in Vietnam. Oh, shucks. Well, I guess I'm not going to play. Yeah, you can play. Trust me. We'll find a way. Yep. There's a lot more history out there than a lot of people know. And it's, it's just a matter of, of finding it. And, um, yeah, making it work. It's it's easier than it's I mean, easier than most people think. Yeah. Well, and there's a there's a you know to your point, Jim. There's a ton of dirty little wars out there that just you know aren't they're, they're not the big battles. They're not the big famous conflicts. So people don't necessarily think of them. Especially now, me, I'm coming at it from a uh, my experience, which is, is as an American. So I tend to lean into the American history and what they've done. However, if you're not from the good old U.S. of A, you're probably rooting for your own home team, whatever country that is, and are more familiar with that. So you may already have more to work with than, say, I would, because that that hasn't been my experience, if you will. Right. So, yeah, we yep. could we could expand that all over the place. All right. So, so much. Yeah. Yeah. History has sadly provided us with plenty of wars to yeah. choose from. So I'm there's, gonna never, throw, there's never a shortage of history. I'm going to throw a curveball right now. What if we get a player from Russia, the former Soviet Union? What if? So, got so now they're we flipping have, around, <laughs> and they're we playing that. Yeah. Who, I mean, he's not quite old enough. He wasn't like, he wasn't, he's, he's not our age. He's not, he wasn't in the service. He was in the service, and he was in the service in Poland, uh-huh. which used to Excuse be a war. Did you just call us all old? <laughs> yes, I did. I'm so sorry. Um, he was in the military. He did serve in a Warsaw in what used to be a Warsaw Pact country, uh-huh. but it was after the wall fell. But uh-huh. we are. I guess what I'm saying is that what you're saying just is not as far fetched as it sounds. Right. In fact, in some ways, we're already halfway there. Yeah. We do have members of active members of our community who game with us online, who do come from countries that historically did belong to the Warsaw Pact. I'm just saying that's interesting because we could have both sides of the coin. You know, we have, sure. you know, the Americans, the Brits, you know, the traditional versus the Soviet communists, you know, and then you could have people who were on that other side gaming the Vietnam War as the NVA, you know, the North uh, Vietnamese versus the Americans, Austria, whatever. So it, it's interesting that you could have a career path that way as well. And we would see, you know, it, this has so much potential. This is freaking amazing. We do, we do have comments. People do watch. Yeah. I've, had, I've had actual Vietnamese people from Vietnam comment on our videos, and they have a different perspective. Yeah. But they're like, uh, a lot of times, like we've had Argentinians on our Falcon stuff. And um, uh, we've had Ukrainians. In fact, the Ukrainians have been the, the nastiest ones uh, yeah. on, our, on our Ukrainian uh, streams. But uh, these other people have been, uh, you know, th- th- they've been like, hey, you know, I saw this. It's nice that you guys are kind of shooting down the middle as far as, you know, how you're looking at the yeah. military history of this conflict. Um, I mean, they don't game with us. But, um, yeah, we do have 
So Take once in a while, once in a while, we do have people from these other countries. So, you know, you just said you know, being another thing, you know, you can have your British and Argentinians instead of Grenada. They're doing the Falklands, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, this. Oh, so, okay. All right. So we don't take up too much so, more time on the podcast. Go ahead but, and finish your but, final thought, Marty. But think, think about the potential for anybody dealing with the content or the uh, continent of Africa. Yep. <laughs> There's so yeah. much to work with there. Right. So much. There is. <laughs> we, we, that's just kind of the, 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 the uh, conceit of the potential project here, but you can literally build a career out of a, uh, and many people have especially holy crap you want to talk about some countries america until until we get to somalia america's not that involved in too much stuff in in africa yeah until you get to somalia horn of africa that kind of stuff but british french oh my god portuguese so literally everybody jim what if you are the african uh guy you you know you're not you're not one of the colonial powers you're the african guy and you, you you can literally have a career path to become the warlord. And there's and especially if you go back to the eighties, there's people on both sides of that fence. Right. You want to play an African, you know, uh, you know, local guy play, you know, running an insurgency. You want to play the villain, Idi Amin. Here you go. Yeah. You're one you, of his boys. You, you, can, you be, can end up the leader of a of a country. <laughs> you could be Jonas Savimbi. Yeah. Does anyone remember him? Yeah, he he led uh, Unitas through uh, the whole Angola War in the eighties and early into the early nineties. Um, he was one of our, bet, I mean, it's a it's a very dirty kind of a war, but he he was one of our friends uh, over there for for most of that conflict. So, yeah, again, just because you're the insurgent, a lot of times nowadays because of war on terror, since you know the last twenty years, almost to the day, um, in fact, almost to the month, uh, right. September eleventh. Uh, 20th anniversary is like about a month away. Right. Because of the last 20 years, insurgent has often kind of um, become synonymous with air quotes, bad guy. Um, you could play Chechens up against the Russians in, in Chechnya, Georgia. I mean, you, you could play, you know, uh, Jonas uh Angolans against Cubans and uh, Russians and communist Angolans in Angola. Uh, yeah. A lot of times, especially back in the eighties, Afghanistan, the Afghanistan yeah. insurgents used to be our buddies in the eighties. You yeah. know, Charlie, well, what's his name? Charlie Wilson's war. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't really work out too well for us in the long run, but, but um, if you wanted to, if you wanted to be, I mean, Oh, no, who doesn't I, like I, to I play the inspired myself. Rebels. But yeah, if, the whole, the, the fucking wanted, underdog. Totally. If you wanted to be Mathad, you know, the, the lion, uh, of the, the Northern Alliance, uh, and, and play him, you know, in, you know, turn of the century, 2000, 2001. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that could be an interesting character. Uh, yeah. that, so, that, that dude, yeah, all right. he was so, on it. So let's do this, guys. This I think we have planted a really good seed, and, and it's it's going to grow. Um, would you guys be interested in joining me Wednesday night as we talk about, let's do a the on the Wednesday night live stream, let's start planning and designing the career path. You know, the setup, because um, I think this has a lot of potential and I am going to stream it, whether your guys are available or not. Not, you know, it's, it's yeah. going to happen. Um, and but I, I really like Jim's brain there because, you know, he's the one that can think about all the, the little things that 
I'm not going to think of or miss. Um, you know, and uh, Marty, you have, you know, some real world experience as well. And, you know, how do we make it approachable for all, you know, and we, we don't want to get too far off the reservation and say, okay, you can do any campaign or any bad. We have to have some kind of, you know, parameters. Parameters. Uh, going to so, be some kind of framework. Yeah. yeah. So uh, would you guys be up for live stream, doing the live stream with me on Wednesday night as we design the uh, sit rep career campaign? Yeah, get your whiteboard out. Yeah. Get ready to write some stuff yeah. down. Yeah. So uh, let's, you know, let's shoot for uh, the Wednesday night live stream. And, uh, you know, we'll start creating this and we'll see, you know, the interest we get out there. I think this has a lot of potential. It really does. You know, it's because. It's such a cool concept. It is. Because, you know, you think about it, you, it brings your miniature players in. So you can do your miniature games until you get. What level, Jim, would you say you're going to do the crossover from miniatures to a hex encounter board game that's not really a a, a a sharp line in the sand it's kind of a fuzzy area uh-huh. it's broadly speaking company level okay um broadly speaking yeah it kind of depends of war, on what scale you're playing too yeah well also like what systems you're using i'm just trying to yeah. think of the systems that are out there and that people tend to tend to have popular um in the community the biggest popular uh modern or modernish um war game systems that are out there tend to be company company plus yeah and i'm mostly looking at flames of war uh north ag stuff like that north ag is more battalion so maybe company yeah company plus maybe inching past battalion once you get fully in battalion it's time to go hex encounters yeah so this is stuff we can talk about on wednesday night because it will start designing there's a couple things we need to think about and we don't need to talk about now but just keep in the back of your mind accessibility to the game or rule set. You know, the more people we want to participate, it has to be easily accessible or available without a lot of investment. Does that make sense? Um, so, oh, yeah. you know, if we well, can think and, about... And it can't be some dead rule set that's only available, you know... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be selfish. Market. I'm going to be very, very selfish on this one. For the, the initial lieutenant platoon level, why not sit rep skirmish, Right. You know, think about, you know, is that something we can uh, use? You know, uh, again, don't... Sit rep skirmish is almost down to, like, sergeant. Yeah. You basically have a squad, but, yeah, that's definitely, like, a very, very beginning, like, individual... Right, because that's available. We can make it available to everybody, you know, so everybody's starting on the same level. I mean, again, think about these and and come up with ideas of what you think, you know, because we can go up to, you know, Valor and Victory at some level. You know, I, I don't know. Again... Let's think about what's accessible. Well, no. we, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, we can we can kind of just work through the the natural progression of game systems that yeah. we think would support the this concept, right? Because you know, again, if we want max participation, we have to kind of eliminate a lot of barriers, you know. Yep. And think about what people play, what they what they already have on hand, or what they can proxy, and you know what rule sets are out there that are easily available without too much of an investment, or somehow we have to be able to supply rule sets, right? So um, let's think about that, and we can. That's all stuff we can discuss on a Wednesday night. Um, this you is, know, you ahead. know what else What's might that? be a resource what? is our own audience, right? You know. For, for those of you that are listening, if you have an idea on on these things, 
Put a comment on our Facebook page. Put a comment on the this video on YouTube. Right. You know, uh, hit hit. You know, slap something down in uh, Discord and uh, you know one of the the hobby chat rooms. You know, something like that. So that way, uh, you know, we can get your input and maybe you're going to come up with an idea that we overlooked or whatever, and be like, "Yep, we can slide that right in here. That's a good fit for that piece." Exactly. So, um, guys, I I think we're gonna close it out at that you know, while we're on top. And, um, I think that's excellent. So thank you to everybody out there, uh, listening, make sure you like subscribe, hit the notification bells, uh, share it with your friends and other gamers and help the channel grow. Uh, we recovered a little bit, Jim. I don't know if you've been tracking our YouTube yeah. numbers. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're heading back in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Guys, help share us out. I'd like to – what do you think, Jim? Do you think 700 is too much to ask for the end of the year? Uh, or am I being very conservative? No, I think uh, – I'm – I got so stressed out trying to get us to 600 by the, by the <laughs> middle of the year. I, I don't want to set any more goals. Uh, <laughs> whatever whatever you guys want. Yeah. Whatever, whatever Let's, Technically, we already hit our goal for the year, didn't we? We did. Yeah, yeah, we hit <laughs> our goal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to rest on my laurels just for a little bit. But Hope after the uh, after July was rough, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, sugarcoat yeah. that one. July was rough for us. We, we were, up, I mean, it was like we were traveling out west, you know, up and down the valleys and the mountain peaks. So let's shoot for 700, but let's exceed it, right? So. All right, guys, we still have several months left in this year, so make sure you're liking, following, subscribing, notifications, all that good stuff. Uh, if you're a Twitch follower, you can get a subscription if you're Amazon Prime. It doesn't cost you anything and helps support us. And uh, we will see you tomorrow for Jim's Gaming Red Dragon. Right, Jim, 2028? Yep, 2028. And then on Wednesday, we'll be doing the live stream as we talk about planning and start formulating the SITREP career mode campaign for Jim and Marty. This is Bill for the sit rep podcast. Take care and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Citrep podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening.